Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you're blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church or its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to connect.redchurch.org.au. We uh, have been in a series, and we have been uh, in a series which is called Christ in Us, Christ Through Us. And that finished uh, last week. But essentially what that series was about was really the idea that uh, God is all about renewing us. And one thing that we believe at Red is in the potential of renewal. There are people at Red whose lives have been profoundly changed by Jesus. who were different people than who they were when they first came to Red. And that's a constant invitation. You see that happen in a slow burn over time. Uh, but you also see that happen in, in you know, quicker times. However it happens, God transforms us. Maybe it's someone who doesn't know Jesus, who then comes to a, a living faith in Jesus and is transformed. Or perhaps someone who's followed Jesus for years and is transformed. Uh, renewal is something which is really, really key to being a Christian. And this series is a vision series. And what's really interesting is you know, often churches have vision series and what they'll often do is at the beginning of the year or you know, sometimes in the sort of first quarter, they'll talk about the vision, where the church is going, perhaps they revisit their vision. But in many ways, and we've done that in the past, but in many ways it feels really, really different. What I notice is different is that as I talk to uh, friends who lead other churches, other people in ministry, um, I've had the opportunity to travel a bit recently and go around Australia. I've been all over New Zealand and been in the UK. And there's an overwhelming sense that there's something bigger happening at a macro level in the church. And so, yes, we're going to talk about the vision here at Red. But also, I just realized this intersects. You know, this doesn't just touch us. It touches churches in our area, in our city, in our nation, and in the world at this point in time. We are in a moment. And in that moment... I want to press into the vision that just as we've seen at Red, that God can transform individual lives, that the vision is that in the midst of this moment, God will transform us as individuals, but also transform us as a church, transform his church in this city and bring a bigger renewal, a renewal of his church, a renewal of his culture, a renewal of our world. I want to begin to talk about this by beginning in Scripture. And I want to begin with the book of Exodus, chapter 31. The people of God are coming out of slavery. They're in this transitional period in the wilderness, and they're moving into the promised land or heading towards the promised land. And in the midst of this, God speaks to Moses, who's leading these people. And this is where it begins, verse 1, Exodus 31, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I've chosen... Bezaleel, son of Uri, son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I filled him with the spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills. To make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, and bronze. To cut and set stones. To work in wood and engage in all kinds of crafts. Moreover, I have appointed Oliab, son of Asimach, tribe of Dan, to help him. Also, I've given the ability of all skilled workers to make everything I've commanded you, the tent of meeting, the ark of the covenant law with the atonement cover on it, and all of the furnishings of the tent, the table and its articles, the pure gold lampstand, the accessories, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offerings and all its utensils, the basin with its stand, and also the woven garments, both the sacred garments for Aaron the priest, 
the garments for his sons, which they, when they serve as priests, and the anointing oil and fragrant incense for the holy place. They are to make them just as I have commanded you. Some Hebrew names, some religious items. But behind all that detail, there's a really clear message. God is moving a people from slavery. They're moving through this in-between period. They're heading towards the promised land, which God has for them. And God is instructing them to create for him a dwelling place. God wants to dwell amongst them. God wants to do great things amongst them. And what's interesting is, this is the account of the first people who the Holy Spirit comes upon in the story of the Scriptures. Now, the Spirit has retreated in a way when we see the fall in the garden. Humans find themselves always wandering, always wishing to get back to God's presence. But here the presence falls, the Spirit comes on two individuals. And it's not in a moment of how we understand often this Holy Spirit falling of this ecstatic, euphoric moment. Yes, there is that in the Scriptures. But what's really of note here is the Spirit falls on these tradesmen, these craftsmen, and these builders. The Spirit falls on those who build the dwelling place of the Lord amongst the people, who are creating space for the presence of to come. Just park that for a second. But I want to move to another part of the ancient world, not spoken of in Scripture, although Scripture interacts with these places. Paul goes there. But ancient Greece. And in ancient Greece, there was a particular character who created something that all of us interact with. His name was Hippocrates, not the father of hypocrisy. He was actually the father of medicine. Now, up to the stage when Hippocrates comes on the scene, people dealt with medicine through really trying to work out different curses may be affecting people. But Hippocrates sets the foundation for modern medicine and creates this entire theory, which still medicine today is really built out of. Doctors can take Hippocratic oaths. And one of the key elements of his medical theory, I think is really worth visiting. For it gives us a word that we use all the time. A word that comes from the ancient Greek is Latinized, and then we use it in English. And this word comes from something that Hippocrates saw happening in a patient's battle with infection or disease or illness. Hippocrates noticed in observing patients who were sick that there was this really crucial moment that came in their journey struggling with their illness. And he said it would happen at this precise moment and it was a turning point. At this turning point, this crucial juncture, either they would become recovered, their bodies would renew and fight off the infection, or they would be overcome by the infection and pass away. The Greek word through the Latin that Hippocrates gave for this moment, this crucial moment was crises. Crises, a turning point in the disease, the change which indicates either recovery or death. Now, the reason I started by saying I think we're in a moment is I think we're in a crisis point in that Hippocratic sense in the church and in the world at this point in time. We can see all around us the cultural crisis. I don't have to explain this to you. We've obviously just come out of a global pandemic, still sort of here, but we're sort of emerging from it. 
We have economic crisis. We have technological disruption, political crisis. We've got a massive demographic drop-off happening, environmental supply chains, and then geopolitical. Wars, rumors of wars, cultural, personal. It's all there. I don't have to sell you on that. But what's interesting is, just as often the cliche uh, is that you know crisis or the Chinese character for crisis has both crisis and opportunity in it, is that this is also a time of crisis, but also it's a time of incredible opportunity. And I was reflecting as I was preparing this morning that in the few decades now, a couple of decades that I've been in ministry, I've never seen a moment like this where so many things have lined up in a moment of incredible opportunity for the church. Because the world is in crisis and the stories that we've been told to explain the world by the wider culture, by our schools, by our businesses, by governments, by everyone, they're actually falling over. And people are actually asking questions in the midst of crisis. As a team, we've discovered this as we, for years, you try and share the gospel with people. But there is an openness and a questioning at this point in time I've not seen before. That's not just happening to us. That is not just happening in Australia. That is happening everywhere. There's an incredible opportunities as people begin to question and all of a sudden the life that we took for granted where everything was just going to get more comfortable, it doesn't look like that. What happens if the economy falls? What happens if there's bigger wars? What happens in the world? These are questions which lead us to existential questions about who we are. Is there a God? What's going on with my life? Not only is there evangelistic opportunities everywhere, there's also opportunities to serve. One of the most remarkable things happened during the pandemic in our local area. When we couldn't get out and about and we were restricted to our homes, the local group of churches who for years had met together began to be approached by the police. And the police said, we can go to people's houses and we're actually going to people's houses and we're encountering economic need. We're encountering people who are in need and also isolated. And so the police asked the churches, can you do something about this? They didn't just ask one church. They asked all of the churches. And so something began during the pandemic, and we were involved in this, where one of the bigger churches opened their worship space because no one was worshiping in there, and it just became a collection point. And the people of God, all different denominations, Pentecostals, Baptists, Catholics, Anglicans, began to serve in really practical ways, people through bringing packages, which then the police took to people's doors. And that's created this really fascinating connective points that's happening amongst the church in this area as we learn to serve in new ways. The Ukraine emergency that was just spoken about that we're going to pray into a couple of weeks I've been speaking to people around the world, speaking to friends in the UK who's had a huge amount. There's 80,000 Ukrainians have just turned up in the UK. And the church is turning up in, in unprecedented ways. You go everywhere. There's English language classes. There's booklets. There's people who are Ukrainian who are being welcomed in, mostly children and women because the men have had to stay home and fight. Incredible opportunities in this moment that are opening up for the church. And the church is stepping up to the plate. Now, for a long time... People would say to me, what's different about the Australian church when I have friends come from overseas 
and they'd make a comment on the Australian church. I said, like, what do you see? And they'd say all these wonderful things. I said, what's the negatives that you see? And one thing they'd often say to me is the Australian church is not super unified because you're actually sort of competitive with each other. Really interesting. But in the last six months, I'm seeing a unity emerge in the Australian church I've never, ever seen before. I'm in conversations with people I never thought I would be in conversations with because very few people now think they have an answer. Some of the models and churches that people were looking to now are sort of the ones to emulate are now struggling in this new environment. But what this is actually doing is it's creating this openness and this, this conversation across usual sort of divides where the church is speaking to each other in ways I've never seen before, working together. In some Australian cities, people are looking at their local government areas. Now that after the pandemic, we all know what a local government area is, an LGA. And then as churches going, how do we actually plant churches together? How do we serve the poor together? What are the evangelistic opportunities together? Why do we not all have a youth group, but let's have, let's have, sorry, not have our individual youth groups. Let's do that together. Our youth last night went and joined with many uh, youth, sorry, not last night. Yes, last night. Yes, it was last night. Thank you. Uh, with, with youth from all across Melbourne to come and worship together. There is the most fascinating openness to new thinking about how we do church. Unity. I've, I've never seen it in my life in Australia. And when I look at the history of how God works at really key moments in history, is when there's moments of crises in the culture, when there's pandemics and political upheaval, when there's wars, tensions, when the world globalizes and new technologies disrupt, like in the 18th century, that is when God turns up and there is incredible renewals. So when I look at it as someone who's written on renewal, who's studied the history, when I talk to my friends, uh, I've got a great friend who's actually an historian uh, who, who looks at all of this stuff, these are the kinds of moments where there are great renewals, revivals, and awakenings in the world. So there is an opportunity. It's not just an opportunity to just serve in the local area, just to have evangelistic opportunity, just to get together as the church. At this moment in the world, for the first time I've seen in decades, there is an opportunity in Australia and beyond for a genuine renewal of the church. And I think we're actually ready to go, positioned like never before. And so the vision question then for Red is, what if Red grasped these opportunities and became a particular kind of church? Now, we've spoken about how renewal comes through an individual in the last series, how their lives are changed and renewed in this overflow, Christ in us, Christ through us. But the question I want to ask is in this vision series is what if that was true of Red? And what if Red grasped these opportunities and became what the church historian Michael Green called a hot center? Now, he uses a passage in Acts 5, verses 12 to 16, to describe what a church in Scripture that is a hot center or a red hot center looks like. It says this, The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. All of the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade, which is part of the temple. Now, I love this. This is like this fascinating dichotomy. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more women believed, men and women believed in the Lord and were added to by their number. There's this thing of like this holy reverence. People like don't want to join them, but they are. 
Now, interesting, this is the disciples who often got it wrong and were following Jesus, who all these healings and miracles followed. But listen now, verse 15. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on the beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, some of you were doing greater things than I. This is, we see this in play now. The, the disciples are now actually doing the stuff Jesus did. Mike Breen writes of this red-hot center that the church in Jerusalem has become. He says this, The gravitational pull of this red-hot center was so strong that even though everyone did his best or her best not to be around these people, they couldn't. They kept coming. That is how strong the gravitational field was. More people became disciples, more people were healed, more people were delivered. Like Bezalel and Oliab, the church in Acts 5 is filled with the Spirit as it builds a dwelling place for the presence of God. Yet what is to note is that the church here in Acts 5 which operated as a red-hot center, had actually just emerged from a crisis. Two members, known two people, Ananias and Sapphira, had actually tried to deceive God with their giving through financial means. Both, through the judgment of God, had passed away. This event had rocked the church. It had created a crisis. Yet renewal followed the crisis. Now, in a similar way with us, the opportunities before us to become a red-hot center for red and for the wider church come at a time of great crisis in the church. And the church, as it emerges from COVID, is in a crisis. Now, in the first few weeks of the crisis, people were talking online, like pastors talk in social media forms. We've got our own social media platform, which no one else knows about. Not really. And um, we, we, you know, the, the commentary was, oh, people are going to realize how much they miss church and they're going to so appreciate it. And this church, when we get back, is going to be packed. People are going to sing louder. They're going to give more. It's just going to be incredible. And there was even memes about this that people would send around. But the church as it emerges from the pandemic is experiencing something that the culture is experiencing. One of the things that people are talking about is the great resignation. Now, often when they talk a story about the great resignation, they have a picture of some young millennial with a computer in front of them and a coffee pondering whether they'll keep doing their job. But really, what's driving the great resignation is not younger people. What's driving the great resignation, when you look at the numbers, it's actually the baby boomer generation. The baby boomer generation are the biggest, one of the biggest cohorts. They were born as men returned from the war after World War II and heaps of babies were born. This huge demographic blip, which was massive. Now also, this was a demographic blip that in places like Australia, New Zealand, America, uh, the United Kingdom, after World War II, there was this move of God. In 1956, Billy Graham toured Australia, the evangelist, and broke the records for all of Australia's biggest stadiums. One in 10 Australians turned up to a Billy Graham rally. 
And many of the people leading the church at the top or just serving in the church, whether they're at a Billy Graham uh, revival or part of that ministry, were actually this huge cohort which came into the church. And as a cohort, which was one of the last bridge generations between a previous way of looking at life where you served for the greater good and an emerging individualism. But this generation served. They gave. They turned up. They turned up when it was popular, when it wasn't popular. Now, not all did, but a huge cohort of them did. I recently was walking in the park near my house. And near my house around here, there's lots of beautiful natural uh, parkland. So much of that is beautiful because people in the baby boomer generation come and actually tend it. So I was walking in the park near my house early in the morning and I see something in the bushes and actually see this lady and she's quite old and she's bending over and pulling out weeds. Now, I thought, that's amazing. Like, you're serving me and the community by doing that. But I also thought, Gen X ain't going to follow that. Millennials ain't going to follow that. <laughs> Gen Z, Gen Alpha, whatever you want to call them. There is not a generation which is going to come out and have that servant-hearted attitude. So what's happening is, in the next 10 to 15 years, is that generational cohort is beginning to retire, but also unable to volunteer in the church in ways that they did. As generations do, they will pass in the next period. Now, if you go to churches, I spoke at a church on the weekend, you look out, you'll see often at churches, our church is a bit different, but most churches in Australia, you'll see probably around 75% of people in the room are that cohort. 75% of people in the room giving are from that cohort. 75% of people in that room who serve on boards and do volunteers and, and put the tea out and do all that stuff are from that cohort. So what's going to happen in the next 10 to 15 years, we're going to have in the Australian church, our attendance, our giving, our volunteer power drop by, I reckon, about 75%. This is going to cause a huge issue. We will notice things not happening that we took for granted when they were happening because we didn't do them and they just happened. Now, the other thing is that that is going to happen. Now, normally what happens with generations, there's a handover, a baton is passed. But what we're finding too, not just through observation, but through experience, oh, sorry, through research, is that next generations are not taking up this challenge. My friend David Kinneman, who leads one of the world's best uh, uh, sort of Christian research companies. We did an entire series on his book, Faith for Exiles, in 2019. And what that, that book talks about is the fact that in the past, if you grew up in a Christian family and your parents brought you to youth group and you went to church and maybe a Christian school or something, there was a really high chance that you would remain in your faith, socialized in your faith. What is happening now, the complete opposite. Unless there is really deliberate discipleship of young people by their parents in their churches, if they go to a school, Christian school, by their schools, now, without that, they're going to leave. Dave's little line is, no longer we formed or discipled by our churches, we're now formed and discipled by screens. So you're going to have a massive cohort drop-off you're not going to have people in any way near the same numbers pick up the baton. Two huge crises. But the third one is the post-COVID pattern is broken. 
People didn't come back in the ways that we thought. Everywhere. And I've been in these conversations. As I said, you know, I've been traveling in the UK, New Zealand, Australia, talking to people in Canada, talking to people all across the world. And after COVID, those who have kept coming come less often. The rough estimate is that in a church now, only a quarter of your church will turn up to things. Attendance is super patchy. Volunteerism is way down. This is everywhere. Giving is dropping. Just as we've seen building companies begin to sort of go into significant financial troubles and liquidation as stimulus has stopped. In the next six months to a year, we're going to see churches hit serious, serious financial trouble, which will mean that staff will have to be laid off, Problems, uh, sorry, programs whittle way back. This is going to have serious consequences. If this is not a crisis, I do not know what is. But if you've been around Red long enough, hopefully you've learnt that at crisis points like this, we know that God turns up. Crisis precedes renewal is one of the mantras that we repeat here. But I just want to add a little crisis precedes renewal dot, 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 if, question mark. What is the if? Now, Hippocrates, in his observation of human health, at the moment of crisis, recognized something. The reason that patients actually recovered was that humans had this pattern of recovery, or this pattern of renewal almost written into them. Actually, our bodies could recover. And Hippocrates would do things like ensure that wounds were cleaned with clean water to stop infection. That actually the body could fight off infection. There was a pattern of renewal. Now, we've talked a lot at Red, and if you're new, I just want to repeat these to you, that there actually is a pattern of renewal that God has written in creation. So the first thing to remember is crisis leads to renewal. Renewal follows crisis. So in order to step into that process, to step into the if, because crisis does not necessarily always be followed by renewal. Just because we're having a massive crisis in multiple spheres in the world does not automatically guarantee there's a renewal. Just because there's a crisis in the church does not automatically guarantee there's a renewal. But in order to step into the renewal, we have to remember a few things. The first one is recognize God's pattern of renewal. God's renewal's pattern is different to the patterns of renewal the world offers us. Tim Keller says this of renewal. It's a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community to counteract the default mode of the human heart. This means that the challenge at this point is not about the lack of opportunity. There's tremendous opportunity before us. The blocker, the stopper, is actually the default mode of the human heart to choose our own way, to resist renewal. Our flesh, that is the part of us which resists God, will actually choose the way which, re- which resists renewal. Now, in the last series, we talked about another key mantra around renewal for us here at Red. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. We have to go all in on the renewal in our lives and then step forward and allow the overflow to spread outward. There's going to be no big renewal without that inner renewal that God has in us. Last series was great. 
at that. Go back and listen to it if you haven't had the chance. But this is what I want to add today. We've talked a lot about that. Crisis leads to renewal. We've got to recognize God's patterns of renewal. Personal renewal leads to corporate change. But I want to add a plank, and this is what this series is about. Renewal must be accompanied by a rebuild. The fire of the Holy Spirit must be accompanied by a form to contain that fire. Bezalel and Oliab were building. They were sweating and sacrificing They were turning up and crafting. They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. What were they building? Just like the church in Acts 5, they were building a dwelling place for the presence of God. And that's what we're called to do at this moment. What is the vision of red for this moment? What is the vision of church in the world? To build a dwelling place for God, a dwelling place for the presence of God. So it flows out from us into the world. And I just want to say, I've talked about the big picture opportunities before the church. But I just want to say red inhabits an opportunity-rich environment right now. We're in an evangelistic, rich environment. There are people asking questions. You saw in the uh, video that we have Alpha starting in two weeks. There is opportunity to invite people. We have spaces. In 2018, when we would do Alpha, Ryan shared after the first service, that often he would say, we need meals for Alpha. So Alpha is an evangelistic discussion. We put on a meal and people can talk about faith and find out about Jesus. And you put on a meal because people open and talk over meals. We used to, in 2018 world, say, we need some meals. Alpha goes for 12 weeks or 10 weeks or whatever. And we would have more people offer to make meals than we, we could deal with. So we'd have to say, okay, thank you for offering You can do it next time around. But we don't have that anymore. In the post-COVID reality, we only have a couple of people offering meals. We have opportunities for people to hear about the gospel. What we're lacking is actually invitations. What we're lacking is people saying, oh, cook. But the opportunity is there. It's raring. It's ready to go. We at Red have an incredible opportunity to disciple the next generation. We have... Kids coming from really young to in their teens. Kids who are struggling with all of the challenges that are in the world, all the challenges that young people face. I'm so glad in some ways that I'm not being a kid at this time because of the challenges. But you know what? We have an opportunity to actually learn to be people who don't let the screens just disciple and form the kids, that actually we can disciple them as as parents, as people who, who are not parents of those particular kids, but as the church to hand the baton across We have that opportunity before us. Before the pandemic, in this service, there was kids. You could offer to have kids ministry. We can only just put on one kids ministry and just in one service at this time. We have plenty of opportunity. We have kids and young people who want to come. But the thing that's lacking is we need then the invitation to step up and have people to volunteer to step into that space. In 2018, I went before the board and said, I would love there to be an investment actually in our staff. We need to put more staff on because our services are growing. We could plant another service. And, and, but the thing that's lacking is the actual infrastructure, the systems and the staff to do that to plant another service. In the beginning of 2020, we planted a service. I think it was around the end of January. And within six weeks, we completely filled that service. It grew. The lack then was the infrastructure systems 
and starve. We're at the opposite space now. We can easily plant new services. We're raring to go. We can do that without having to put any more people on or start infrastructure. We've got systems now. The opportunity is there for growth. Other opportunities before red. I was in Queensland last week. Red has an influence beyond just who comes to red. We have an influence in our country. I was literally in, in Queensland on the weekend and I spoke to a young uh, woman who came up to me. She's in ministry and she said, I just want to thank you. And I was like, what for? She said, in 2018, she visited red. 5 p.m. service came and afterwards, some people prayed with her. She said people welcomed her prayed for after the service. That was such a pivotal moment in her ministry journey that what God did through that prayer actually led her now to be in ministry doing a fantastic church in Brisbane. Brit, on staff, many of you will know, she's currently on a break. She went to a retreat in Wales, a retreat at a retreat centre called Faldebrennen. I, in 2018, did a sermon series on the story of Felderbrennan, of Roy Godwin, who wanted God to actually send him into ministry in the business world. God instead sent him to this out-of-the-way, back-of-the-woods Christian retreat center called Felderbrennan. He began to pray and bless people, and the most remarkable things happened, miraculous stories. I encourage you to read his book. We did a whole series on it. I was so inspired by this book. Brit got the opportunity to go to this place to be blessed by these people. Do you know what they said to her? We want to thank Red so much. The leaders of Felderbrennan during the pandemic watched our services and joined us and feel like they're part of us. This is Red serving people on the other side of the world who we were blessed by. Trudy last week shared the incredible story of the Iranians that we got a chance to meet with recently. The woman who'd sacrificed everything. Trudy shared that story. I encourage you to listen to her if you haven't. When we were at that meeting, one of the women afterwards said, I just want to thank Red for the ministry that you're encouraging the global church. I, this week, was on a call with Karen Newhoff, probably one of the leading voices in the world at the moment in the church. He advises churches all over the world. His podcast is massive. I was talking to him and he just spoke about how much encouragement he's gotten through podcasts and different things and, and his eyes are on red. He points people at us. We've been given this incredible voice at this moment through us pushing into stuff and how do you follow Jesus in a weird, secular, post-Christian place like Melbourne, us wrestling with those questions and doing a podcast about it or through our services or whatever, are actually God's using that to have a voice beyond. And lastly, in opportunities, I could list more, but the sermon will go for two hours. But we, at the beginning of the year, were invited to be a hub church for the global 24-7 prayer movement. I spoke about Alpha. One of the things I've always wondered about Alpha is how do 23 million people do Alpha and how do hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people come to faith through Alpha? I've not seen a program like this. It's an evangelistic program. How can people in Manhattan who are really sophisticated 
and people in a Honduran refugee camp and in the military in Singapore, how do all these different groups do alpha in prisons and people come to faith? It's just remarkable. When I visited Holy Trinity Brompton, the church which Alpha came out of, it clicked for me. I walked up the driveway, and there you see it on the left. Not huge, small room, sort of stuck on the outside of the building, and it says 24-7 prayer. Alpha has been so effective because it's been bathed in prayer. All of the great revivals, all of the great awakenings, all the great moves of God have been bathed in prayer. They start with prayer. Now, that movement, I would not realize when I saw that little prayer hut that a few years later we would be invited to be the Australian hub church for that and for a movement in our nation to come out of here at Red. And Trudy was invited to be the national director, something she never, ever thought would happen. When Trudy took the job, at one point was sitting there at night and she's like, Mark, how am I going to do this? It's like this. Often when you say yes to something, like how, how a church is going to get interested in, in prayer? My experience is prayer is not something people have like beaten down the door from. I've seen for, for years of ministry experience I've had. But Trudy's swatting away inquiries like flies. There are churches everywhere, not just churches, big churches, movements, small churches, rural churches, churches all over Australia who are saying in this post-COVID period, It's not going to be solved by programs. It's not going to be solved by 2% incremental improvements every year. That actually what this is going to be solved by is putting prayer at the center. We have budgeted and put in the midst of it and built a prayer room for our church so that people can come at any time and pray and book a time in the prayer room. We're going to be launching that. There will be opportunities to pray in the prayer room. There will be opportunities to pray on Tuesday nights. We have prayer now. We have it on, on Thursday mornings. We have an incredible opportunity before us. It's, it's, I've never seen anything like this. But to see this renewal, to step into this moment, to grasp the vision that God has for us, what we can't do is go back to a 2019 mindset. In 2019, we could sort of turn up, expect things to coast, we can't sort of turn up in this sort of post-COVID, we're re-emerging in the world. Now, part of it has been this weird season. I've been off at weeks when I've been sick. You get a sniffle now, you can't come. You get COVID, you get COVID again. There's part of this reality. We're going through this weekend, I mean, so this winter. I totally get that. But there's also an element that I knew when God, I began to pray to God in the midst of the pandemic, like, oh, how do we emerge from this? That what would emerge is a remnant church. A lot of cultural Christians, habitual churchgoers who just went because their mates went, their mum went, just a habit. Many of that fell away during the lockdowns and people didn't come back. But I knew that what would come back was a remnant, a group who were ready to push into God. But the flip, the change, the switch that needs to happen is we can't approach church like we approached it in a previous season. We need to go back to an older way of doing church. We need to go back to this way of doing church like a remnant. What does that mean? Three things real quick as we end. The first one is we have to grasp the moment and the invitation. See this as a moment. 
It is easy in the last two years to look down and just look at what you can control in your life and try and work it out. And yes, we need to work out things in our lives, but also our eyes need to look upwards as we actually look at the bigger thing that God is doing in the world. We need to grasp this moment. You could have been born at any time in history. You were born now. Why? Because God has a part for you to play in this great symphony that he's writing in the world. We play the instruments. We put together the notes. God has, an, has a moment for us. There's an invitation. The Spirit is inviting us to be part of the renewal, to be workers in the rebuild. And I just want to thank those of you who have done that. I was reflecting to the toughest times of the pandemic when people couldn't meet together and some people were literally isolated in their homes by themselves. We switched onto Zoom. Would switch onto the service and watch it. I want to thank you if you kept pressing in. I remember when we first could come back and we could only have a sort of set number of people and the chairs were like three meters apart and we had masks on and we couldn't sing and it was so weird. I remember the first time they started playing worship and everything in me just wanted to sing and it was just this like weird thing. We all stood there like this. So weird. But if you kept coming at that time, maybe you came for the first time for that time. Thank you so much. If you've come back to church and joined us post-pandemic and have been coming and pressing in, thank you. But I also want to invite others to get on board with this moment. Get on board with this moment. Movements are born in moments. And we need a movement to be born at this moment. But for a movement to be born out of this moment is the second thing. We need to understand that renewal always comes with sacrifice. I was in an event on the weekend, spoke on the Gold Coast on Saturday, and a guy got up and he, he was sharing. He just gave this illustration which stuck with me. He said he'd just been in a large Christian school in New South Wales, and this large Christian school, super well resourced and big campus and everything. And he said what he wishes people who went to that school or even people taught at that school is he remembers in 1985 when that school didn't exist and six families felt this real call from God to actually establish a Christian school to form kids in the ways of Jesus. And they were so committed to that vision that they sold their homes and put the money into it. And he made the point that great things begin with sacrifice. That so often we, at the end of these processes where we're living in the great resources and the great facilities, we forget that all of this began with a different attitude. All of this didn't begin with an attitude of entitlement like Trudy spoke about last week, which often comes at the end of things. That actually began with this sacrificial attitude. He shared this story in a conference I was at. The senior pastor got up and just was really moved. And he just said, I want to tell you another story. This church, which is growing and healthy, he said, I remember 20 years ago, before it was like this, there was a couple, who I think were like in their 80s or 90s now, and they started this prayer meeting every Thursday and they prayed and prayed and prayed that actually God would turn up and God would renew that church every Thursday, hours of prayer, every Thursday. And the senior pastor said, he said, 
I'm so grateful. And he actually pointed out the woman and said, everything that's happening here at this conference, so much of it goes back to this prayer. He shared, though, that the woman in the 80s or early 90s even had told him that physically she just couldn't do it anymore. And he said the thing that frightens him is there's no one to take up their mantle. Where are the people who will sacrifice to intercede for the next thing? Movements, moments, renewals, awakenings are always built on that sacrifice. That's before us. One more example, like we're friends with uh, a great church we know in the UK that's been planted in the last five years. Great worship, fantastic things happening. Really interesting, I'm getting a chance to speak there uh, soon. And Trudy was at an event and met an older lady. And she was in this city where this church had been built in the downtown. And before that church was ever there, before there was a hint of that church being there, probably when the people who lead it may have just been teenagers. She prayed and prayed that God would do something in that community. She said, I prayed this church into being. That's the kind of stuff which turns moments around. So what that leads us then is this into phase three. If God's going to turn things around, we have so much opportunity. We are in an opportunity-rich environment as the church in the world at the moment, as the church in Australia, as the church in Melbourne, as Red Church. We have so much opportunity before us. But this is where we need a different mode. The mode of the previous season. We've been formed by a consumer individualistic culture. And if we approach this with the natural individualistic consumer ways that all of us, myself included, have been formed in, if we approach it in that way, it's not going to happen. We need to approach it in a different way. We need to approach it through a posture of contending, struggling, sacrificing, pushing in, persevering, gospel resilience. We need to invest. We need to invest in our time. We need to fund the next move of God. We need people to give here at Red to keep this thing going. And we need to do this through building. Building is not always just through putting bricks. You think about a brick, a wall is built how? A wall, a massive wall, these walls here are huge. You look at a brick wall, one brick at a time, building something, turning up at a time, turning up, turning up. As you turn up, as you be present, as you start to build, as you start to invest, no one's talking to me, I have that conversation over there. The best community is built when you work on a project together over years. Rome wasn't built in a day, neither is great things. We need that building mentality. We need to move from a life posture of consuming and passivity to one of contending for God's presence to come with power. We need to build with God's presence patterns, investing and funding the renewal to come. The blessing is always followed by a build. Renewals are always facilitated by rebuilding. Spiritual transformation comes and will inevitably result in a spiritual transformation in the environment around us. This is a moment. Let's step into it. Let's stand. Let's pray. God, we recognize this is a moment, a decisive moment. This is a Hippocratic crisis in which there is a crossroads, death 
when we choose our way, the world's way, the way of self, the way of just simply consuming, or there's recovery, renewal, life, when we choose your way, when we don't choose self, we choose Christ, when we choose not consuming but instead contributing. God, I pray you will show us how you want us to contribute. We see the potentials and possibilities. We see a moment pregnant with so much opportunity. But we want to say yes. We know you're forming a remnant church. We know it looks different. And I just want to pray in Jesus' name for intercessors, like those two older ladies I spoke about who are willing to pray the next thing into being, for people who are willing to fund the next thing into being, people who are willing to turn up and just through the patterns of their life, build the next thing into being. Father, we want to pray for the next generation as that baton now, we think about it, the baton which has been held well by so many, now as we're running down that track, we can see it in the hand in front of us, Father. We don't want to drop it. We want to pick it up, Father. We want to step into the kingdom moment that you have for the church, for our red church, Father. And we just pray this not for us. We pray this for the churches nearby us. We pray this for the churches in our city. We pray this for the churches in our nation and the world at this time. Help us to see this opportunity moment. Help us not to just stand at a distance filled with opinion but no responsibility. Help us to actually step in and partner with you as you build this renewal in the world. So just now as we worship, just let the Holy Spirit minister to you. There's an invitation hanging in the air. Let's actually say yes to him. Let's listen to the specifics of the invitation for us. Let's worship.